1: Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with are meeting Groves, ex-Scotland International and adopted Frenchman, Johnny Vt, And we're going to be joined too by a man who swapped Coventry for Paris during the course of this season and definitely has an interesting tale to tell. Paolo Adogui will be with us shortly. Any interesting tales from the past week or so for you, Johnny?
2: It's been quite relaxed. Absolutely fucked, as per normal. But uh, <laughs> no, it's been Life. good. Bank bank holiday Monday. Um, they enjoy the bank holidays in May in France. So bit of downtime, bit of beach with the kids. Too much, I say too much wine. Nice wine, maybe three glasses of wine. It takes me about three days to recover. But no, it's been good. It's been quiet. Looking forward to getting stuck into a few different projects this week.
1: Three is too much nowadays, is it? I like it.
2: Three kids and three glasses <laughs> of wine. Are both are, uh, I don't know what it is. I think it's middle age. I'm not sure. I read during the week that 35 is actually middle age, which scared the shit out of me. But yeah, it turns out that I'm well and truly into my middle age and three glasses of wine is more three glasses of wine and a couple of glasses of rum, if I'm to be honest. <laughs> We're getting there. Maybe now. it was the rum. Uh, maybe, maybe that was the bit that, that did the damage. But yeah, it just takes a couple of days, doesn't it? Absolutely useless. It does. Do you know what I found with
1: red wine nowadays? Maybe I'm drinking bad stuff. I get quite red with red wine.
2: My face, not just your teeth. It's your face, is it? The whole thing, all <laughs> yeah. things going. Oh, mate, horrible. Anyway,
1: should we talk about top fourteen instead, given that we're yeah, you middle-aged? Old more men. interesting. Yes. <laughs> what a win for Brieve, Johnny at Montpellier, and dramatic as well.
2: It was ridiculous, but compelling. This is the beauty of top fourteen rugby. Again, we talked about the passion, the will, the digging deep, all that stuff last week. But um, like, they were phenomenal. Axel Muller got. Red carded for high shot on Ante, Anthony Boutier in the first half. And you just think, ugh, game's over, curtains, that's it. Breathe pro they do. But they just kept on scrapping back. And again, the manner, as you just said, that they finished the game. Danny Brennan, friend of the show, Marcel van der Merwe, as well scrummaging to the sheds and back. They were absolutely phenomenal. They probably should have had a penalty try, but it wasn't awarded. Um, But they just managed to nudge the number eight over. Nico Sanchez sticks the ball over to win the game. And that's them. They're still alive. Mathematically, it's still possible they stay up. So phenomenal for the spectacle, for the drama at the end of the season. And it must be incredible for Brieve as well, for the players living what they're living at the minute, having gone through sticky patches, Ross Moriarty are arriving as well late in the season. Just an incredible period for them to be living. And hopefully, hopefully it goes right down to the last day.
1: And on the flip side, Montpellier have fallen away quite badly towards the end of the season. Obviously, it wasn't a happy camp inside there dress room yeah. after the game. But reports of an incident between Mohamed Haas and Philippe santandre andre Yeah,
2: well it's the third straight loss. They're defending champions and now like they're clearly gone. They're so far away from qualification it's finished. But they're not playing well. They don't look together. Um there'll be changed at the end of this year as well with some personnel moving on and, and changes in structure in the backroom staff. But apparently they're a big bust up as well, as you mentioned, um, in the change room I think Philippe Saint Andre had said, look, boys, you need to look in the mirror. This isn't good enough. A couple of the boys were like, look, mate, you also need to do about looking in that mirror. It's not just this players looking only. And I think it was Mohamed Huas initially said, look, you maybe have to look, take a look yourself. And to his credit, Paul Valemse backed him up. So Momo Huas, who's leaving the club, um, it's easy to speak when you're leaving, but to have one of the big leaders, one of the big members of the French side, stick up for the players as well is important. So not all rosy. There will be changes in the season. Qualification gone for them. And yeah, it won't be an easy finish to their season. Two games left um, and they just don't look right. They don't look settled at all.
1: And when he looked in that mirror, Philippe Sant'Andre, I don't know what he saw coming back, but he might have saw the face of Mohamed Altrad because he's been in the media in France after that game, suggesting that Sant'Andre will be some sort of vice president next season and even less involved with in the first team.
2: Yeah, but that, that doesn't surprise me in that you'll he, be rewarded for what he's brought to the club, which is their first ever Brennus. Mm. Um, but he's never been a hands-on head coach, you know, even if you think back to his days at Sale, he's more of a director of rugby. Yeah. You know, the boys would laugh and say he's on the touchline on the mobile phone, like, what's he up to? But that's it. He's been there as a figurehead, but also helped out with recruitment, strategy, tactical stuff. But. The on-field training has been done by the ca- the coaches in day-to-day. So uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. And that's always what he's wanted. That's what he wanted since he arrived at Montpellier was to have that bit of distance, more of the organisational stuff, the background stuff, a director of rugby role that we're familiar with in the rest of Europe. Um, and that's it. I don't think Mohamed Altrad would also let him go because he recognised the success he did bring last season. Just this year, it quite hasn't quite gone to plan. So a huge win for Breiv
1: and a big 43 43- win for Poe over Cast, that sort of means, like, it looks almost certain, really, that Perpignan and Brieve are going to be there bottom two, doesn't it? it just depends which order.
2: Yeah, but, but now it's who they're playing against because they've both mm. got games against Toulouse and Cast, which I think, given a different scenario, Toulouse now not being in the Champions Cup is absolutely crucial for the context here. If Toulouse were in the Champions Cup, that'd be a bomb squad that they'd be sending to Perpignan. It could be an easy home win for them. Now it becomes really difficult because they're going to come full noise. Um, and I would beat Brieve to beat Cast this weekend in Brieve, which means it will all go down to the last weekend and a flip of those fixtures. So it's not going to be easy. But yeah, you've got to think that Toulouse are going to go to Perpignan this weekend and probably nick it because when they're on form, they're really on form. And Brieve at home against Cast. Cast now with nothing really to play for. You're going to think Brieve will win. So yeah, it's those two teams. But as we said, it's mathematically now anything is still possible and they're not going to go down without firing some shots so looking forward to seeing this weekend's games too
1: and your local side Johnny Bayon lost 55-14 at Racing is that I have right. chances done
2: <laughs> all right yeah we didn't do too well we we didn't do too well um in racing but look i think potentially the top six is gone but I think they'll get Champions Cup rugby. If they finish in the top eight mm-hmm. this season, they get Champions Cup rugby, which is huge for the club. Yeah. I think they'll win this weekend. We've got Clermont at home this weekend uh, down the road in Bayonne. And then it's a final hit out in Lyon in the last round. And uh, and, and that's an all to play for. Lyon as well, at the weekend, came this close to losing to Perpignan. So I don't know. It really is getting down to that stage where if you get all your players fit on the field and desperation makes you achieve some crazy things. Um, So look, I think they'll beat Clermont this weekend if they can then do something and upset the odds in Leon in the final round, they could sneak into the top six, but I think it's unlikely. But this weekend, certainly, I think there's a home win against Clermont.
1: You're going to love this. If you think Bayon might just miss out, that leaves yeah. Racing, Leon, Bordeaux, and Toulon. Which yeah. other one's missing out?
2: So you've got Racing on 61, Leon in fifth on 60, Bordeaux uh, sixth on 58, Toulon seventh with 57, and Bayon. In eighth with 54 points. So if you go through and look through the fixtures, Racing are at home to Toulon, then away to Clermont. Lyon are away to Stade Francais, then at home to Bayonne. Bordeaux at home to Poe, then away to Toulon. Toulon are away to Racing, home to Bordeaux. I, I reckon each one of those sides essentially have got home win in them. They've all got one home, one home, and one away game. I, I don't see there being too many away wins. There, So I don't see too much change into what we've currently got as a standing in that I reckon Racing will probably end up on 65 points, Leon 65 points, Bordeaux 62 uh, and Leon 61. And it comes down to the difference in bonus points. But that being said, it looks like, in my opinion, Bayon will miss out um, too long, potentially as well. You think they've got to go away to Racing then the last games at home against Bordeaux. And then if they can wake up a bonus point in that win against Bordeaux, if they win the last game, potentially then you nick Bordeaux. But for me, you've got Racing, Lyon and Bordeaux still in that order, making the 4-5-6 and then potentially Toulon nicking six spot. But it's going to be tight right down to the last minute. But yeah, currently I don't see too much change. I think the big side that is going to be most likely to miss out is Toulon. Right. We may have spoken about it already, but let's find out what your metre moment of the week is, Johnny. It could have been Antoine Dupont breaking a million tackles and being the best player in the world again. It could be every week. Mate, he's an absolute freak show. But it's Brieve, Mate, they were absolutely phenomenal. And we talk about the emotions and what it can pull out of you on rugby field. But Brieve going down to 14, losing Axel Muller, having to scrap against the current top 14 champions, and then nicking it at the end. You saw the relief, the joy, the delight for all those players in the 83rd minute, third minute of injury time in Montpellier. So well done to the boys from Brieve, particularly Danny Brennan. Marcel van der Merwe as well, who scrummaged themselves back into the game and essentially that won the game for them. But Breeze still being in the hunt, not giving up and winning in Montpellier is absolutely the meter moment of the weekend. They were insane. There we go.
1: That was Johnny's meter moment of the week. And meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer, recently making over 20 million cooks better with their game-changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue, in the oven or in a pan, and you can get your hands on one at meter.com. Plus, you can get 10% off any full-price item. All you have to do is enter the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout. That's FRENCHPOD10, and you'll get 10% off any full-price item at meter.com.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about, you insane Hollywood f. Ass-
1: Let's get our guest on now then, and we can have a chat with a man who's had a roller coaster of a season after suffering with the collapse of wasps at the start of the campaign, but then getting the opportunity pretty quickly to move to Paris and having been involved at the top end of the top 14 table ever since. Stade Francaise Paolo Odogui joins us. How are you doing?
3: Hello. Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Enjoying Paris life.
1: Absolutely. How is life? Because you wouldn't have been expected to be sat in Paris in the spring at the start of the season.
3: No, definitely not. If you told me that, I'd be sitting in a flat in the centre of Paris this time, I'd be like, why? And am I on holiday or what's going on? But yeah, roller coaster of a year, but landed on my feet, thankfully. But it's um, still a dramatic one for me and all the guys involved.
1: And Coventry's got a cathedral. So, you know, Coventry Cathedral, Notre Dame, obviously similarities, but I imagine the vibe's a bit different in Paris.
3: Oh, same. Coventry is the Paris of England. People say that most of the time. So. <laughs> I actually live around the corner from the Notre Dame as well. But yeah, it's just, um Yeah, it's a very different vibe, but like it's interesting because I was born in Coventry and I grew up in Birmingham. So it's going from basically being in what basically turned into my hometown club and like living close to my family, living close to all of that. And it was like, I was like, this is perfect for me. This is a great setup. Loved the team, loved everyone. And then having that just like ripped away from you and then being like, oh, damn, what am I doing now? to then moving country, having to figure all that out, and then just going into a completely different league in the middle of the season. yeah, It's been a lot a lot going on, but it's been good.
2: And mate, you've just touched on it there. Can you take us back briefly to October? So 167 players and staff made redundant at Wasps. How did it all unfold? It wasn't quite as brutal as Worcester, but still it's not something you ever think is going to happen to you in a professional rugby career. It's not something I ever thought could happen to me at any stage. So how did you deal with that professional sportsman, hometown club? What was it all like?
3: It was crazy. Cause so obviously we're sitting there watching the whole Worcester thing unfold. And they're basically saying to us, Oh, that's not gonna happen to us. We'll be fine. We're wasp, we're one of the historically biggest clubs in England, in the in Europe, we'll be fine, we'll be sorted out. And we're like, okay, cool, we'll be sweet. And then literally two weeks later, after the Worcester thing, we're meant to be playing Exeter on the Saturday. We get called in on the Thursday and it's like we're not playing the game this weekend. We can't have the insurance. I was like, this, this isn't good. So it's like, take a few days off. Everyone chill out. Come back in the next week and we have the the infamous redundancy meeting where literally the administrator walks in. His first line is, I was hired 10 minutes ago for this job and you're all being made redundant. And literally the, the life was sucked out of the room. Like it was never felt anything like it. Hopefully never will again because it was crazy. You've got 60 people obviously sitting in there Hoping to hear the best, hoping it's just another like catch up meeting and then just getting hit with that bombshell straight away. It was, yeah, it was wild.
1: I think Johnny mentioned there like the, it, what the outside kind of image was that it was more brutal at Worcester only because there was seemingly a lot of lies told and a lot of things were said about the ownership. But essentially, when you boil it down to the bottom line, the same thing happened. Administrators come in, said, That's it, you, you're done. It, it must be the emotions in that room when you're being told must be. Incredible,
3: yeah. Like, there's a very thin line between the lies, and then obviously, that happened there. And like, with us, it was sort of just sugarcoating, which isn't really much better because we ended up in the same situation. So, it was, yeah, it was very surreal. And you're surrounded by like some of your best friends. We're such a tight knit group, like staff, players, coaches, that it was so surreal to be like saying goodbye to people in like October. Usually, that happens end of season, like, people always come and go you have those set times where that happens, but to be four games into the premiership season and then be like, I might never see any of you guys again. It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy.
2: And can you, again, this is me being ignorant in that I haven't done my digging properly, but can you give us a, an oversight into, of the 167 people that are made redundant, like a brief overview, where, where has everyone ended up? What has everyone ended up doing? You've obviously in France there's a few boys that are mm-hmm. have found places, but I'm, I'm, I'm imagining there are more difficult stories that haven't really been told either.
3: Thankfully, I haven't heard any of our boys that I'm close to, or like any of the like main group that have not found anywhere. Awesome. So we kind of out of the like main like starting team, whatever. The group kind of spread all over the world, especially this season. You had obviously me in France. Quite a few of the boys in France like Ali Crosdale, Jack Willis, Brad Shields, loads of the boys, and then you had like Jacob going to Italy, Joe Lanchbury going to Japan. Um, Sam Springs at like Kibrigi in Australia. So, literally, just spreading all over the, like my first, I think, four or five games at Stad. I played against a wasp player in every game, which was bizarre,
2: <laughs> but also must have been quite, quite nice at the same time. Strangely, bizarrely, but yeah. to have that reassurance that everyone had found something and that type of an adventure as well, it must have been bizarrely nice.
3: Yeah, it was quite cool to my first game for Stad was against Jacob e. and who's obviously like one of my closest friends, business partner. Like, this is so strange that so this is falling like this, but it was quite cool. But it was nice to see people obviously going into teams and like doing well and like playing and stuff. So that was the sort of only saving grace for the situation that like most people have found their feet really.
1: And even though a lot of those deals are short term, hopefully you guys in France and Jacob in Italy have picked up quite decent contracts but at the time there was a lot of low ball offers being thrown around i'm not sure if you got any offers from english clubs because obviously the budget wasn't there from pr- other premiership clubs and they kind of knew that y- you needed deals essentially didn't they
3: yeah that's the thing. so luckily the offers that i got were all well not all of them but mainly um like medical joker contracts which are outside of the salary cap because you're literally replacing someone who's injured for however long they're injured for so with those ones, you can't really get lowballed because it has to be similar to the person that is injured. So that is okay. But I know some guys were literally getting like, like almost academy contract offers and they're like, I've played 100 games in the premiership though. This is crazy. But obviously with the salary cap situation in England, some teams, one, either don't have a choice or they don't want to risk getting close to the cap. So being able to get to France where the salary cap is basically double it is in England was a saving grace for me to actually be able to Make good money, experience it differently, experience a whole new life, and just embrace what has been a crazy year.
2: And from redundancy, then the impending phone calls to your agent, just how long was it until that decision was made? And how about how did the process start to getting to Stade Francais?
3: It was a very panicked few (laughs) (laughs) weeks at the start. It's just like a because obviously there's not that many agencies in England, so a lot of them will have a lot of players in the same teams. So they're going to have five or six guys like spamming them, their phones like help get me somewhere. So at the at the start, the first few days was like, it's pretty difficult because I, was like, I literally don't know what's going on. And then when gradually you start to get a few offers from here, a few offers from there, you can start to sort of put together what you're going to do and then actually be able to make a choice. So I was lucky to have multiple choices. Some guys might not have had that, but it was, um, I think I didn't actually sign for maybe three weeks. So that was three weeks of being like, I don't know where I'm going. And Stade Francais didn't actually answer the phone for two weeks. So <laughs> they expressed interest and then said nothing. So I was like, Oh, maybe that's off the table. Then And I'm like, I'm gonna have to look for something else. And then literally they just called up like, yeah, could we want to FaceTime Gonzalo the head coach or, oh, um, zoom called him. And then like, after that I was like, it's a go. But then after that it was sorting out a visa, which obviously a few years ago wouldn't have been needed, but I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that, which then added an extra, two weeks on so I didn't actually end up getting to Paris until mid-November and my last game from them would have been the 10th of October against Saints so it was like a over a month of just like frustration of like this is I'm prime season time now I'm just missing out on games so it was stressful but then also exciting because I knew what I was going towards.
1: I was going to say it's all those logistical stuff behind the scenes that people don't think about because Johnny will know and we speak about on here quite a lot the difficulties of moving to France are numerous and, and quite tricky oh, at the best yeah. times, but normally you do it in pre-season. You've got a few months, yeah. nice weather in the summer. You're like, shit, I'm texting my agent. Then you've got to do it very quickly. Like you said, you haven't played a game for a while. Like it's all done in, in double quick time. It must have been hard.
3: Yeah, it was crazy. And the, the admin here is notoriously slow. <laughs> so trying to, obviously coming out here, finally getting my visa sorted and then, I didn't realize how, much, how many different steps there are when you actually move to France and move into the league to actually be like allowed to play. So you have to have like a neck MRI, you have to have a heart scan, you have to do all this stuff. And I was like, this is crazy. Like you have to do like a VO2 BO, max test. And then finally, once you've got your contract, then you have to apply for Social Security, which I've literally only just gotten back now. So it's like five, six months.
2: You're legit now, that's good. <laughs> now,
3: I'm a local now, so it's all right, but it took a while. So, yeah, there's all these logistics they have to do. And then obviously going into a new team, learning all the plays. Obviously, they're in a different language as well. So then it's the trying to pick up the calls in the language, trying to learn how to talk to people on the pitch in the language. Because I feel like if you're shouting at someone in English and they don't speak English or oh, their English is good, but not in rugby, you're going to have to learn how to adapt around that. So there's so many things that I didn't even think about, consider, like consider before I came over and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to learn very quick here.
2: I didn't even consider the Brexit debate. That's another one. Yeah. No? You'd be loathing everyone that had voted for Brexit and given you visa <laughs> issues. You'd be like, oh, for God's sakes, another reason. Mate, a, a man you mentioned that he says he wants to come on the pod. So Gonzalo Quesada, you mentioned he recruited you. He was part of the process, knowing very quickly after that, he wasn't going to be there at the end of the season. But the season that you've had as a squad and as a team has been phenomenal, given the circumstances. So, Give us a little insight. Gonzalo Casado. what's he like as a man? Because everyone says incredible things about him and a great coach as well. Big surprise, he's leaving. And how have you found working on them so far?
3: Yeah, I mean, that was one of the most confusing things I've ever heard. When I, mean, I was like, oh, we're second in the league, but he's not going to be here next year. I was like, but why? It was, yeah, I was confused. But he's, yeah, he's a great coach. He's very good at, um, he's a people person. So he likes to talk to you. He likes to be your friend. He's very just easy to talk to. He's not like a, Tyrannical authority figure, like an old school rugby coach, which I like. It's, you don't feel like scared being around him, which is nice because you can just have a conversation. And if, even if it's like, why have I not been picked and things like that, which are usually difficult conversations anyway, I feel like it's a lot easier to go to him, like actually discuss it than maybe someone who wants to be like a scary head coach. So, yeah, great coach, great guy. Obviously, he was obviously instrumental in getting me over here and he was very. Helpful in like sort of just throwing me straight into the culture and the team and giving me an opportunity to play at the start. So, yeah, nothing but good words.
1: And Paul Gus was there as well, isn't he? Did you know him from before or not?
3: I, I knew who he was, but we never met. But now we're like, as there's three English guys in the group, like me, Harry Glover, and then Guzzy, obviously. So we've kind of become, we we stick together. <laughs> so he's always like half coach, half friend, but, which is quite nice as well because um, coming in and obviously being thrown into this completely new environment with all the meetings being in French, everything being in French. When he steps up and his meetings in English, I'm like, okay, I understand everything. This is good. (laughs) Great coach as well.
1: And in terms of where you play, you've obviously played wing and centre this season, and that's kind of similar to when you were at Wasps as well. You were known as a winger. You moved inside to number 13 quite a lot. Do you have a kind of preference of where you would like to play?
3: Yeah, 13 is my favourite position but obviously being a I I played more wing there because I kind of came into the professional game as a winger but I always feel more comfortable at center I feel like just being able to get on the ball more be more in the middle and being more involved and because I don't mind doing the the great stuff and carrying into a load of forwards and doing that thing so I don't like dislike playing wing. I like playing wing when you've got open space and it's nice weather and it's all good but <laughs> In the middle of winter, on the wing, when you just kick Jason, and you're just like, "Ah, oh, this isn't fun," but you do it anyway. But it's um, I feel like center is also with my build. I'm probably more naturally suited to center because these days all the wings are six foot five and 100 kilos and can probably jump over my head. So it's it's nice to not have to worry about that.
2: Mate, it could be worse. You could still be playing on the wing away to Newcastle in winter. Yeah. Now at least you're wearing <laughs> the wing to I mean. Toulon. Like it's different, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Um, have you been surprised Like, again you mentioned Gonzalo leaving have you been surprised by how well this season's gone like effectively you're sitting third you've been in the playoff spots for the entirety is it surprising or do you see the quality behind the scenes the coaches you have in the playing group and actually this is where we deserve to be we've actually been really good
3: I think it's weird for me because I joined at a point where we're doing so well I was like oh this just must be normal but then talking to the guys about how last year went and they, I think they finished eighth or something like that and they were like it was completely different to this so I think it's a, a testament to how hard they obviously must have worked in pre-season and Guzzi coming in and instilling that sort of defensive mindset of you literally said it today, defense wins championships so bringing that in and making a solid giving us the foundations that when you play against those teams like the Toulons and the Clermonts and all of those guys who like to open the game up and play this really expansive rugby, if you have the the structure in place to just be solid and know your roles—it makes it so much easier to play against them. Maybe last year that wasn't the case, but obviously I wasn't here. But I feel like the, from experience now, the top 14 is a crazy league. Like nothing makes sense. Montpellier won the league last year, and now they're near the bottom. We were near the bottom last year, and now we're in the top. So it's, i feel like it's literally just based on that year. There's no consistency apart from Toulouse.
2: I want to ask you a little bit about the characters in the squad. Like you've got people that you probably grew up watching in Champions Cup yeah. and Heineken Cup rugby, like yeah. Morgan Parra, blokes yeah. like that, kicking around the squad. Like, what's it like being involved in a squad with that type of character?
3: It's cool. It That was another bizarre moment because I have literally like, ob- since I, I started playing rugby when I was 11, so that was like,
2: what, 2008
3: or something like that? And obviously he was playing in World Cups by that point. So it is weird to be like sitting next to him in the changing rooms and be like, you've played so many games of rugby. One, I'm like, how are you still doing this? <laughs> and yeah. two, it's just like he's still he has such a crazy mind for rugby and you can tell he knows so much that I know I think next year he's actually coaching at Stad. Yeah. But it's yeah, being around players like that that you know have just been around for so long, like even players that I didn't know of before until I joined the team, like um Paul Gabriel, who just played his two hundred and fiftieth game for Stad. Against Toulouse the other day, I was like, that's crazy. That's a lot of rugby, especially in the second row. So it is impressive. And you see how much people care about the club and care about the badge. And it's really nice to be around. And they're also for me coming in from the outside. And when I joined, I just wanted to prove myself and perform how how I want to perform. They accepted me so quickly and easily as soon as they were like, okay, this guy's down for the course. Like, it's a really tight-knit group.
1: And does Morgan love that when you go up to him in the change room and say, I remember I was at primary school when you were playing in that World Cup. He (laughs) No, we don't speak that much. (laughs)
3: His English isn't the best, but um, I don't think I'd want to remind him about that.
1: (laughs) You mentioned the kind of salary caps almost double. Clearly they're almost like on different planets at the moment. And we spoke about what happened at WASPs on that financial side of things. English club rugby is obviously going through a tough time at the moment. It's hard to talk about English club rugby, French club rugby and sort of make the connection because they do seem so different. But from having experienced both in the same season, is there anything that you can kind of see in France that you see that English rugby has kind of done wrong maybe or can maybe take from French rugby and kind of do a bit differently or not?
3: Yeah, I think it's just the... Not as much in the team run, but the buy-in from the fans. Like as you've seen, like it's always all over Instagram, Twitter, like the La Rochelle fans from the, the weeks ago. That's everywhere. Every team you go to, you've got the flares, you've got the drums, you've got it's a spectacle every time. Like even for us in Racing, being in Paris, obviously there's so much going on. You've got PSG, you've got concerts every week. So for us, it's harder to get fans than everyone else. And we'll, we still get like twelve, thirteen thousand 13,000 of our games. We sold out the game against Toulouse, so that was 20,000. I think the ability to make it more than just a game and make it a spectacle. Like I know a lot of like old school fans don't like this, but like almost Americanizing it because in America they know how to put on a show. Like it could be the worst. Like I like I love NFL, for example, and it could be the worst game you've ever seen, but it's a show. You've got the halftime shows. You've got so much going on. You've got music. You've got an atmosphere which gets created because people want to go to something to have a full experience they don't want to some people want to go to just to watch the match but if there's stuff going on before if there's stuff going on after if there's an experience you're more likely to go again especially when you're trying to get casual fans because the people who will go just to see the rugby will come regardless it's trying to bring in those other people who are like oh I might go watch a game of rugby it looks all right but what else is there and they'll go because they'll be like oh there's a this performer's on at halftime they've got I don't know, like a concert on before. They've got just nice bars. They've got good food. Anything that's going to draw them in, and then like, oh, this is actually a nice day out. Let's go again. And then that just brings more people into watching the game because at the moment it needs that expansion into a more mainstream audience than just rugby fans. Because rugby fans will always come.
1: Johnny, that that's something we've spoken about before, isn't it? Like you, you can't recreate the history of clubs in France and the connection they have to the town. But there are certain things that happen in. By on um, too long, even in from say that you can kind of transfer to the premiership, I guess.
2: I don't know what it is you have to change because like I'm I'm with Paolo in that there are things about going to get Gen C's and fighting for attention and 18 to 35s is, is a real drive to get new people into the game. But even if I observe the different attitudes of spectators in top 14 in the prem or in URC, like you just mentioned, you get the flares, you get the drums, you get the brass bands, you get the riotous sort of tribalism between sides. Yeah. And for whatever reason, when you come back to the UK, it's just quite polite. Like every it, it's, it's I like I refer to it as like kick and clap. It's like a nice kick and then people clap and then yeah. you're like, come on, why aren't you screaming? like why is there why isn't yeah. everyone screaming when there's a scrum? Like, do you know what I mean? The props love it in France because the crowd goes absolutely bananas if there's a dominant scrum, whereas that doesn't really happen back. I don't know what it is, but it's the buy-in that we have here from the French rugby public. I love it in France. That's why I stayed. Love my experience. And that's what you'll be absolutely loving as well, is visiting each one of these different top 14 sides. I even had it in D2 where eventually I played in Bayonne and D2 But even at that level, the crowds are absolutely fantastic. So I don't know. I don't know what the difference is or what you have to do to drive it differently in terms of game day. Um, like I've had a CEO like a federation before that was called firework Phil because all he did was put on fireworks and it was just like, it was just seen as like chucking fireworks. But it's that it's trying to get the right balance of how do you get that spectacle to gauge people's interest, get them involved and get them into the game, either participate or spectator and keep them coming. But there's just something about French rugby and top 14 rugby grounds that you just want to go back. And then as a player, it's even more enjoyable to play there. So I, I don't know what the answer is, Tim, that was a really long-winded rant. I don't know what the answer is, but it's fun over here. I think that's what we're saying. If
1: you did, you'd be a millionaire, Johnny.
3: Yeah. Because yeah. even, like, for me, I'm, this is my first time going for a lot of these grounds. Someone was going there, it was like half fan, half player. I'm like, oh, this is cool. They literally, we played Perpignan a few months ago, and we put up. All the fans are behind a big fence. They're shaking the fence, <laughs> booing us on the way in. I was like, this is great. We're getting booed <laughs> from the minute we get off the bus. We're warming up. They're booing us, shouting abuse at us. I was like, one, I don't know what you are saying, so it doesn't matter. But two, <laughs> I'd rather have that than just silence. I'd rather have some emotion. I am like, I don't care if I am getting booed for scoring a try.
2: It's noise. They'll be like, who's this English boy smiling at us? We're insulting him, <laughs> and he's just like, I am <laughs> loving life. Lad. This is great. Yeah, cool, cool. Taking fours. Oh yeah, this
3: is yeah, great. I feel like this guy's weird. And like Clermont, we played Clermont this past weekend. and Obviously, their stadium's unreal. Their fans are real, so loud, like. You couldn't hear the person next to you. And it's just a club game. Like, it's not a cup final. It's like not anything. Like, it's literally just a top 14 game. And it'll be like that every week. And it's just the that's the level that it needs to get to in England for the game to expand, for more people to want to come. Because if you're watching that on TV, you're like, that's crazy. I want to go. But you could be watching a Premiership game, which has like 8,000 people there and they're quiet. And you're like, oh, doesn't look great.
2: So, do we have to get like jesters from France to come over and like rally <laughs> just, up yeah. UK crowds? Like, how do we get just them going? Find the a UK? load of
3: French people in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Plan a load of French people, put them in whichever team colours, and let them go crazy.
1: Maybe there's that cultural difference. Maybe we just can't, Johnny. We're just too reserved in the UK. I think, to they? be fair,
3: having been here during the the riots and stuff going on, I think it is just the culture because they'll chant for anything, and it's yes. great.
1: And you mentioned before that you love the NFL and I think you said before it kind of felt a little bit this season like you were on an NFL practice squad because you're there as a medical joker and you're yeah. sort of trying to prove yourself and and I guess in a longer term deal. So what's that been like to experience that side of things?
3: It was a bit crazy at first because my initial contract that I signed was five months. So I was like oh that gets me to like March. So I was like this is I've never done anything like this but And I was offered longer deals. I was offered a two-year contract somewhere else, but I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to bet on myself here and just go for it. And At least that worst case scenario, I've spent five months at one of the most historical clubs in the world and lived in Paris. And I always wanted to play in the top 14 at some point. Anyway, so I was like, it's something I really want to do. It's the most random opportunity to go and do it now. So I'd rather do it now than maybe play it safe and then try and do it later on. And it might not happen. So I was like, I want to try it now. And now I'm here for the end of this year at least, so it's it's worked out well, and I've got to experience the league. So I
2: absolutely love that that you could have gone two years safe somewhere, but you've come to enjoy the craziness of France, the top yeah. fourteen, <laughs> like, Paris, yeah, Paris live, which is great. And that, as you just said. It's been extended through to the end of the season, which is great as well. Because I was going to say, if your contract was end of March, like you're still... you still just hiding team. in my flat. <laughs> exactly. <You're> just <laughs> enjoying I'm still here. <laughs> the Parisian spoils. And so now you signed up to the end of the season. And have you had any visibility or conversations to extend beyond? Or are you not at that stage yet?
3: At the moment, I'm probably not going to be here next year because it's tough. Because at the moment, the French teams are trying to make the league more French again. So you know about the GIF rules, obviously. Yeah. And it's the... Um, trying to make reduce the amount of non-GIF players, so non-French qualified players in your team. And obviously, before I joined, they'd signed Joe Marchand. So I was like, ah, he literally plays the two positions I play and plays for England. So I was like, well, if I'm here next year, it would be a tough battle anyway. But at the moment, I'm not going to be here. But I mean, I'm still happy that I did it anyway. And hopefully I'll stay in France and go to a different team.
1: Are you in that process at the moment where you're talking to different teams? And if so... Are you quite relaxed about where in the world that is? You're not desperate to move back to England.
3: Yeah, I'm in conversations with a couple of teams at the moment, and especially I, I I would love to come back to the Premiership at some point. But it might be the worst possible point to be trying to come back to the Premiership. So unless I got off with something which I knew was in a safe place, because I can't go through redundancy again, then it'll probably be not for maybe this like next year when the cap potentially goes back up. But no, I'm not. Really, too fussed about like where in the world I am, apart from being like stupidly far away. But at the moment, I'm just sort of wanting to experience like different leagues, obviously, develop different styles because it is very different playing in this league to playing in the Premiership. I'm sure it's different playing in the URC and the Super Rugby and all these things. So it's only going to help develop me as a player, actually playing against these different players where, which I wouldn't come up against normally and sort of getting out of that English bubble and playing against different people because I feel like. For example, if I went back to the Premiership now, I've gained experience and things in this league that I can then take into that league and vice versa as well. So things that they do really well in the Premiership, they don't do well in France. I feel like I brought that with my game here, which helps me as well. So I feel like the more experience you can get and the more sort of rugby cultures you can take from, it's just going to make you better as a player.
1: And in terms of international rugby, you were obviously in the England squad for the 2021 Six Nations, which was that COVID year where everything was in a, bubble you would have spent so long in a hotel and then you didn't get capped so you were holding tackle bags on the training field back to the hotel back to tackle bags back to the hotel when great you t- look back now <laughs> exactly what i was going to say doesn't sound great when you put it like that but a couple of years on how do you look back on that period
3: it was a crazy time to be fair but i am grateful for the experience because obviously if you'd asked me the year before if I was going to be in the Six Nations squad, I'd be like, I'm trying to get into the Wasps team. Like, I'm not getting picked. So, having that sort of, well, when start of the season, playing as well as I was, getting the recognition for that, for getting picked for being in the squad, like, I can't really complain. And not playing, obviously wasn't meant to be, wasn't meant to happen. Might have been a blessing in disguise because I could have been one cap and then never played again. But you don't really know what's going to happen until you're there. I felt like I was good enough to play. And I potentially would have played in the summer, but obviously I tore my ACL three weeks before that happened, before the summer tour happened. So again, it was like, oh, well, you, someone really doesn't want me to play for England right now. But um, yeah, obviously now I'm sort of completely out of all of it. So I'm mainly just focusing on, well, at the moment, my contract for next year, but just playing as well as I can, seeing out this season and potentially winning the top 14, which would be a hell of a story after getting fired at the start of the year.
2: Now, I remember watching you play and thinking you were sure to get capped as well. Um, you were phenomenal that year. Um, you were brought into that squad by Eddie Jones. We ask everyone, how was Eddie? How did you get on with Eddie? What were your interactions like? He's a unique fella. Um, but how was he with you in the England Caps?
3: I actually got on with him really well. I think because I'm a very relaxed person. I'm very chilled out. I wasn't going to say anything too combative or go against him. I was like, I work hard in training. Easy to work with. him. just chilled. So I was like, It'd be hard for me to cause some problems, but on the, I've seen him, I've seen the angry side, obviously, because we basically lived together for <laughs> three months. So I saw all the, all the emotions, but I feel like he was good with me. He obviously had his, his way and it worked for like a considerable amount of time to be fair, but everything needs change. So obviously I've not been in the New England environment, so I don't know what it's like now, but he, he was very good at what he was good at. And he had obviously so much rugby knowledge. But um, yeah, with me, it was sound. So no complaints from here.
1: But I'm just trying to envisage that period where, like you said, I mean, God knows what it's like living with Eddie Jones for three months, but like you're <laughs> all in that hotel together and you're a, a new player in the squad. So as you say, you're kind of grateful for the experience, but you've also been absolutely tearing it up in the premiership. And on the outside, people are talking you up as a potential starter in that Six Nations and you're not getting capped. So you have to strike the balance between that noise from the outside and eddie jones inside the camp and the conversations he's having with you how is that dynamic because you must be kind of knocking on the door saying mr jones what about this week or what about the next week it it must be tricky
3: i literally had to mute my twitter i was like i can't do this anymore (laughs) there was too much but i was like i can sort of gas myself up by looking at twitter and being like oh yeah this guy should be starting but i was like it doesn't it doesn't make a difference like they didn't pick the team, so the main focus was doing what I can do within training and showing what obviously team what I could do in the league he saw a lot of me in training and obviously didn't think that I was ready to play at that point point. and i can't I can't be angry at him because I was like it doesn't really make a difference so obviously it was frustrating obviously when the happy to be here mentality kind of wears off and I'm like I'm here now like there's twenty eight of us here there's twenty three in the match day squad so I was like this it's such a close such a close gap from being involved and not being involved especially because we weren't doing well in that six nation we finished fifth so by the end of it i was like surely just give, give me Come two on. minutes but just give me two minutes but um <laughs> obviously didn't happen but not mad about it but it was um it was still a wild experience because these are all it's the team that i've been watching on tv like loads of those guys been playing 50 100 caps and then i'm living with them and training with them every day and sort of it gave me the confidence that I was like, I'm not far off here. I'm at the level where I'm competing with these guys. So I was like, I'm just going to go back. When I finally got back to Wasps, and I was like, I can actually play again. And I'm playing every week, just taking everything I'd sort of experienced and the frustration from not playing, and obviously the stuff that I'd learned and taking it back into the league and trying to finish that season strong.
2: And moving over to the top 14, obviously the Six Nations was written off as well. Although it still probably would have been a chance he'd be involved in extended squad. So. Since Eddie, have there been any other conversations since Steve Borthwick's taken over? Or has that been parked for now? Uh,
3: no, there's nothing. But I wasn't expecting it. But yeah, nothing. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not... There's been too much going on this year for me to be like worrying about international rugby. I was like, I'm just trying to solidify myself in a new team now after just finally like getting my spot in the team that I'd been at and wanted to be at. So there's been so much going on and so many moving parts. I was like, okay, I just want to focus on the league and focus on playing. And obviously I've never been in a point with a team that I'm actually close to winning a championship apart from my first year at Wasps where I wasn't really playing and we got to the Prem Final. So this is the first time I've been really involved in the group and I have the chance to actually win something. So I'm like, okay, I'm going hard at this. I want to get something out of this year.
2: But you do realise to flip that straight back at you, if you're part of something and you win something, international rugby follows. That's how it works. So whether it's England, or we know that you're Italian qualified as well. That's been widespread for a long time. Like, do you have, do you feel somewhere you got a preference? If if England were like, no, not now, Italy would say, we'd love you to come be part of a World Cup prep. If you'd won the top 14, the Stade Francais, would you feel comfortable? That's something you want to do with? Like, where would your head sit with the choice?
3: I think at the end of the day, I just want to be somewhere I'm wanted, if that makes sense. Like, I don't want to just be another piece. So, I want to be able to play and want to perform and want to fully show what I can do at any level I can play at. So if, like you're saying, winning championships leads to that, if I go and win the top 14 this year and then I get an international call-up, I want to be able to perform on that level and I want to be able to play in that level. I don't want to just be another guy. With either country, I was like, I want to play. So wherever I can get that
1: opportunity, I want to do it. And that is completely understandable. And it's interesting because... I think Kieran Crowley has spoken about you before and it has sort of kind of said that he does want you. Quite what happens behind the scenes is a different matter, but I think he's sounded quite keen in the past. So how much dealings have you had with him? And what's the kind of last contact you had with Kieran Crowley?
3: Uh so he actually came into WAFS when I was there this year because he um head of strength and conditioning at WAFS, Peter Atkinson, was the former and SNC coach. So they knew each other. So he actually came in and observed and I spoke to him a bit there and we've had a bit of contact. But obviously because the Italian team's been doing so well for them this year and they've been building this new group of young players and coming into their own in the sense that they're actually contending every game. And obviously they beat Australia, they've won all these games. So obviously he's got those guys to watch. And I'm sort of just on the outskirts because I haven't really committed to anyone. So I'm just this floating player and who could be in France communing There's no one knows where he is. So at the moment I haven't spoken too much but um, and I don't really know what's happening with that but if I had the chance I'd take it but I don't know I think for me it's the main priority at the moment is making sure I have somewhere to play next year so.
1: absolutely one step at a time win the top 14 sign your deal for yeah. next year easy then play for Italy at the World okay. Cup easy fine <laughs> win
3: the top 14 make a diamond ring out of my gold medal and then I'm chilling <laughs>
1: <laughs> Johnny that World Cup carrot is huge though isn't it like his Paolo's situation is obviously a unique one and it would be great to see him at a World Cup with Italy but that aside there are loads of players at the moment that that World Cup is just there so it's, it's a carrot that you know if you do have dual nationality you do have two or three different options if someone gives you a call and says there's this World Cup happening I mean it's a huge carrot Johnny
2: yeah firstly I totally agree with what you said Paulo previously you want to go somewhere that you're wanted and you're going to play i thought you answered that really well and that there's no point going somewhere and just getting capped for the sake of being capped and not being part of it so mate, i think you like totally belong on the international stage um missed out because of injury easily could get back in the England side if you wanted to and you head back there but again Italy be phenomenal to see you part of six nations biggest competition in the world world cup coming up like you belong there so either way I thought you answered it superbly. And uh, Tim, you're right in that there's so much going on. And we've just talked about what rugby is like in this country. That carrot of being involved in a World Cup in France yeah, thought, yeah. is just insane. So that's it. Like you're going to have to pull a trigger at some point and make a decision because you will be wanted. It's just going to be a question of context and timing. And sometimes you can't control that. But there's going to be a decision soon where a conversation is had or you're approached and you're going to have to pull that trigger, which is exciting. So I wish you all the best. And I also do hope that you go on to do something phenomenal at the end of the season, and then that carries you on to bigger and better things. So whether that's with Italy, England, I don't know if you're qualified further for other teams, whoever it is. <laughs>
3: Nigeria, <laughs> but, but they, don't have, they don't have much
2: to <laughs> Um, But that's it. Like To be part of something and have that carrot, and essentially now to be a home World Cup for you, living in Paris, you've seen what it's like, would be incredible. So I, I just wish you the best. Either way, um, be classed to see you in international rugby, and hopefully, it's in three and a half months' time.
3: i hope so too, but yeah. Even so, even if it's even if it doesn't happen this year, and I can go somewhere else next year, get fully settled in, get back to the level that I know I can play at by playing every week, and then it happens next year. I mean, it's. I feel like it's it is the next step, but it's not something that I'm always just like I need to play international. I need because I'm very much just like I need to be doing the best of what I'm doing now. And if that comes, it comes.
2: And you've got time. That's the thing. You mentioned Morgan Parra, He's 104. You're sat next to him. <laughs> you're like, he's been around forever. I've got bags of time. I can still do four World Cups. Like, that's it. You've seen how long these boys can hang around and how well they've done. And I'm sure you'll follow in the path. So, mate, you're absolutely right. No pr- no time pressure. Make your own decision and then go for it.
1: And Palle, exactly. you mentioned a minute ago there, if you win the top 14 making a diamond ring i wanted to ask you <laughs> you've moved from i reckon it's probably the fashion capital of the uk coventry but you're certainly <laughs> yeah. in the, the fashion bad, i lived capital. in birmingham so <laughs> slightly better slightly better you're, you're now in the fashion capital of the world arguably in paris and you have your own clothing line don't you tell us about composure club
3: okay wearing it right now i'm demonstrating always on brand <laughs> so you know about me but um yeah so we me and jacob started it coming up on two years at the end of this month which has gone really quickly but is basically the story of how it started was completely by accident because we were playing in the premiership sevens with my first year at wasps we got to the final we were like battering everyone we're playing sarah's in the final we get to the team talk and jacob's trying to be really serious he's never serious we get trying to be really serious in the team talk he's like right guys we need to keep our heads on, we need to stay composure and i was like literally makes no sense (laughs) everyone just starts laughing and i was like oh no (laughs) this isn't going well we lost the final (laughs) so that wasn't a good point but we kept the tagline so stay composed but it has a bit of a ring to it that so this we kept that and then me and jacob kind of came became composure club because we were always together always all the time and then for his birthday which was a few months after that i made us t-shirts like matching t-shirts with the Composure club which turned out to be the first t-shirt we made with a couple of adjustments so that she made them i was like oh that's quite cool actually and then we sort of actually looked into what it would take to make a brand and then did all the steps by getting on like company's house and doing all the boring business stuff that i didn't think we would need to do and then yeah launched 28th of may and now we're almost two years going strong so it's been really good and also it's really nice to have something outside of rugby because obviously you know it's very intense it's such a you're so invested when you're in there and at training and games that when you get home I'm like, i don't want to think about rugby I just want to do something else and having something else that i'm genuinely passionate in, like i've always been interested in art design fashion so for me it was like this is the perfect outlet and to actually try and make a bit of money out of it isn't too bad as well although we're not in profit <laughs> So, maybe, <laughs> maybe in a year's time
2: you you will be when you make the Stade Francais champion 2023 composure club oh, Peter yeah. and Best that seller. that goes worldwide Absol- they'll be in profit straight away easy
3: when Louis Vuitton buys us out and I can <laughs> be a sellout <laughs> and be rich
1: have you seen any benefit obviously being in Paris do you take any kind of influences or is there is there any kind of benefit to being there from a kind of brand point
2: of view Fashion week. Surely you were front and center fashion, fashion week. There's been three fashion weeks. It's so hard to
3: keep up. <laughs>
2: fashion but, month. There we go. Yeah, literally.
3: But I think it's just you're around so many different styles, like, of people, and, like, how they dress. is so different. Like, in England, like, depending on which city you're in, obviously, Birmingham is very multicultural, a lot of different people. But if you're in sort of a smaller town, everyone's kind of similar in what they wear. And coming here, was like, you can wear whatever you want and no one cares. Like I literally, my first few weeks rocking up, there was a guy, it was raining and the guys walk around in purple sunglasses with a purple, puffer jacket on. I was like, yeah, fair, why not? Why not? But I feel like it's just the level of expression. And obviously here, there's so many exhibitions, so many galleries, so many things you can take inspiration from. So even for like our next photo shoot we got coming up for our anniversary drop, I went to a uh, Basquiat and Andy Warhol exhibit in the Louis Vuitton Foundation a few weeks ago. And just some of the artwork they had there, I was getting like ideas for like, the background for our photo shoot and things like that. You can just take from everything. And obviously you've got all the high fashion houses and stuff, but I don't go into those shops too much. It's too expensive.
1: I knew you were coming on Palo and you had composure clips. So I nearly wore the most out there thing I have in my wardrobe just because, you know. <laughs> Should have done it. But as <laughs> is you it see, purple? Do... <laughs> is He's it like, purple with oh, your purple sunglasses? <laughs> it's actually just it. Do you want me to show you? Like, I'll get your I need, now, to it, I is... need to see it I need to see it. Wait, there we, we go. This is good podcasting, isn't it? There we go. Check that out. Oh yeah. That's like, yeah, that's that that was a good old year, I think. That's the loudest yeah. camo
3: I've ever seen.
1: <laughs> but actually, I went for a grey t-shirt, which Johnny has done as well. Have you got any advice for us? Because clearly we're quite dull and in our middle age now. Grey t-shirt. All right. I Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to bring you down with me. I'm I, quite dull. Well, come on. But you are wearing a grey t-shirt. Just <laughs> wear what makes you comfortable, you know. There's no point in trying to force trying to force it. I'll never
3: try and make someone wear what they didn't want to wear.
2: Yeah, you never try and make somebody cool. Never try and make somebody <laughs> I, cool. I just, like, we're lost causes. We've accepted it. We're too far <laughs> gone, mate.
3: I was actually having this conversation with Paul Gustad earlier. We we're all sitting around and one of the boys was like, I'd love to see you style Guzzy. And I was like, I think good. I've got some ideas for you. A couple of earrings, maybe some chains. <laughs> He's sweet.
1: What did he say to that?
3: Uh, uh, uh. He was
2: like, boys, there's only so
3: much you can polish. He was like, I think I've got a meeting. I need to go. <laughs>
1: Uh, Johnny, how would you describe your fashion sense if you had to, in a word or three? Dad dad, chic? Uh, Dad dad bod?
2: uh, uh, uh. (laughs) Dad bod? I don't know. That happens to us all after rugby. Uh, Yeah, dad bod chic. Maybe that's it. Uh, I don't know. Dreadful. It's never been my strong point. I've never been the best dresser. I've never invested in it, never given any thought or time. I don't care enough, which means I look embarrassingly bad a lot of the time, which is, I'm being honest, but that is just what it is. I come through sometimes, my wife's like, None of that goes. Go and get changed. Like an idiot. <laughs> I'm like, it fits. It fits, but it never goes. It's never joined up. But hey, if somebody could look after me or send me some merch, I could definitely uh, get dressed up, you know?
1: Yeah, I don't know if we're You'd your get- target audience, pal, Johnny and I, <laughs> Absolutely but like, no chance. Wait, you can tell we're interested. So where can we get our hands on some Composure Club?
3: You can go to composure-club.com for all your merch. Or just there go on go. our Instagram, which is composure.club because everything's on there. Follow us buy all my merch and make me rich
2: there you go sign up <laughs> mate. is it true that you designed the wasps european kit also oh, disappointingly that i didn't get to get worn but the best thing to never happen yeah you designed that kit and then ultimately everything fell through
3: me and jacob yeah we both did it it was might have been one of the nice not being biased might have been one of the nicest kits i've ever seen so it was the basically idea of it was City of Culture for Coventry, so it was obviously Coventry was voted City of Culture in twenty twenty one, I think. So we were actually meant to do it the year before, but it got delayed. But it was it basically had all of the sort of historical artifacts of Coventry on the kits so you had like the Memorial Park, you had like Lady Godiva, you had the original Jaguar factory was in Coventry, so you had like a vintage Jaguar on there, and it was all. Then you had the history of Wasps in there, so the old logo, which was the best logo, the. <laughs> the cups that they'd not so like the European trophies, like the silhouettes of all of it. But it was all, its basically a white kit and that was all in like a very light grey. So from afar, it was just like very clean. I was thinking like Real Madrid, classic Europe. When you think about like European competition, you got like Real Madrid. So I was like, I want it to be very clean. But then when you look up close and you have the detail, you're like, okay, that's actually really cool. And it had the, so there was like gold sort of lines going up it with the, which was the actual um, road lines if you travel from Adam's Park, the Old Oswald Stadium, to the Rico. So the literally actual the actual map. So I was like, it had all the history of it. I and mean, we had the Composure Club logo on there as well. Like our logo was all over the kit. And I was like, this, this makes no sense that they've allowed me to do this. But <laughs> it's, on, it's on there now. You've printed it.
2: It sounds awesome.
3: It's great. So we did the photo shoot for it and everything. All the kits were made. So obviously we were a month away from Europe. And I was like, we're actually going to wear this. And then it happened. And then never. Best kept secret. Maybe they'll wear it in the championship but it wouldn't really make any sense but it's there now
1: I was going to say it sounds like a lot of detail on the kit and a kind of thing that like aside from the fact that it never got worn it almost like it could be a collector's item and people would want to have one but do you know where they all ended up?
3: Government property now <laughs> Jacob managed to get one from somewhere but um, to be fair I think they've actually bought all the kits because all the kits got seized but I think they bought them back so they're probably somewhere in the storage in Henley but um, it would be cool to see them on, even if I'm not there, although I would want to be the first person to wear it because it, it was, it's my baby. It was like, so much time went into that and we went down to the Hummel headquarters in London, me and Jacob sat down with like the head designer, went through what we wanted to do and like, he was great. He was like, literally put whatever you want on it and I'll make it happen. I was like, perfect. So then going through all of that process, finally getting it approved, finally getting it made, seeing it in person for the first time and being like, this is real. And then, like, being you know, getting the chance to wear it and then that not happening in the end was a, uh, that was sort of added, an added kick when I was down to the whole Wasp situation. I was like, this is never going to happen. I was like, she so says that, but maybe one day we'll come back or I have to just design another one.
1: Hopefully you get them back and you can whack them all on the Composure Club website and we'll um, we'll all be able to get hands on a hands on one. That
3: would be a good seller.
1: And for anyone who doesn't know, Jacob Umanga is the Jacob you're talking about. He's now at Benetton. He's yeah, your, like your business partner. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Give him a <laughs> shout out. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> you, we can hear how passionate you are about it. Do you think this is something you'll go into sort of full time? You'll build this business and fashion is something you want to go into after rugby?
3: Oh, 100%. I mean, I think... We kind of got a leg up by starting it now and sort of figuring out figuring out the whole process from young and early. So I think hopefully by the time we both retire, Composure Club is we're ten plus years strong. We've got our own shop. We're making money. We can we could retire whenever we want and just live off this. And that's the goal at the end of the day. Because you never know what's gonna happen. So having that sort of having that not a plan B, it's just a plan A two, because it's so solid it's there. And even with the kit design stuff, I'd love to do that after rugby as well. Cause that's always been something I've been interested. I always love, I always used to do it when I was at school, we had a, we did like a competition for our tour kit. And the one I designed was so outlandish. We didn't, they were like, no one's going to wear this. I was like, <laughs> it's great. I was like, why not look at it? It's fantastic. They're like, it's, it's too loud. I was like, there's no such thing. But we didn't, we didn't wear it, but that was my start into the design world. But yeah, I'd love to, even if I could work with, Obviously Stud say is notorious for having the most wild kits ever, like some of their old kits with the faces and all that are oh,
2: so good. I wish we
3: yeah, loved it. I there's a wall in our training ground which has all of them. And I literally just stand there. That's actually nuts that you guys wore this. It's so cool. And even our kit now with the Eiffel Tower up the middle of it, I was like, this is Capri Sun as a sponsor. <laughs> this is great.
1: Valor, thanks so much for coming on and talking us through a whirlwind season. And good luck with this is a big list. Winning the top 14, your next contract, international rugby, wherever it may be, potentially a World Cup, who knows, and then eventually breaking the Paris fashion market.
3: Thank you for all of this. And,
1: <laughs> and I
3: need my my gold top 14 ring as well, obviously.
1: Yes, it's the best. <laughs> Absolutely. Ever. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Paolo. An Englishman in Paris, Johnny, and the
2: world at his feet. It's it, good to see a guy who has more strings to his bow than just rugby. Probably the nicest sounding Coventry-born, Birmingham-raised <laughs> bloke you'll ever hear from. Like, how good a speaker was he? Um, and such a nice boy. So, I don't know, like, when we played, we struggled to get the energy to get ourselves for a coffee and a cake on a day off. We were that useless. So to see somebody with that amount of energy, absolutely killing it every time he takes the field for a staff Francais, but clearly good humour up all the time, and also trying to conquer the fashion world with a smile on his face. Um great bloke loved having him on and yeah really really do hope he's another one that he's one of those good blokes that you just hope ends up in the right place happy and everything will click from because he's a phenomenal rugby player um but yeah great to have him on
1: and sorry i didn't mean to drag you down with me but i, I feel like i could do with some composure club like there's a lot of t-shirts black t-shirts uh, i don't know I didn't mean to drag you down with
2: me johnny I loved when we were like, is there any merch going? And he just looked blankly at us and was like, buy it, here's the website. Absolutely (laughs) no chance. The only way you're getting any of this is if you buy full price or with a premium on top for (laughs) middle-aged dad bods. I loved it. It made me me smile on the inside. I died a little bit, but smiled. Yes, we do need to up our game. My wife's been telling me that for about 20 years, but I ain't going to change. So never mind.
1: Anyone watching the video can judge next week whether we've um, taken any inspiration from Paolo. (laughs) Or not, maybe not. <laughs> a little bit of news from the top 14. Shall we discuss that? Which one? Luke Cowan-Dickie. It looks like his move to Montpellier is off, doesn't it?
2: I, and again, not knowing the inside track on this one, I don't know how much of this is him ballsing it up by going out on the Skype and then missing his medical, his second medal appointment, and how much of it actually is genuinely just the fact that he has a neck injury that isn't tolerated in France. But either way, as we've just seen with Paolo, it isn't going to be easy for him. He's just left a three-year contract on the table at Montpellier. Sale reportedly are still interested in the premiership, but what can they offer him? That's the thing. British Lion, big player. I don't know. It's a big one to have scuppered. So you just hope he finds something um, and something he's happy with. And it looks like that's probably going to be back in the prem if he doesn't come over to Montpellier now.
1: And Gregor Townsend, Johnny, he isn't heading to France or the top 14. He signed a new contract with Scotland until 2026. You happy?
2: Yeah, I am, mate. Look, clearly the best Scottish side I think we've ever had. We are not won anything still, but, you know, we've knocked over England, knocked over France. We're competing with the best in the world on our day. So he's got got us to a better place than we've ever been. So, yeah, delighted he's staying. 2026 as well, decent chunk of time. Um, So looking forward to seeing what he can do with the side. Firstly, at the World Cup in a few months, can we get out of this pool? Fingers crossed. And, yeah, for the long term as well, I think for the stability and the young players coming through that enjoy working with him, Um, And the product that he gets on the field, it's a good choice.
1: We spoke quite a lot about the top 14 earlier on, but the penultimate round of games this week, what are the big ones? Well, mate, you've
2: all of them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Something riding on every single one. Well, essentially you've got racing against Toulon, Um, Toulon with their probably last chance. I mentioned, I I think they'll probably finish seventh. If they can win away at Racing this weekend, they proved me wrong and they maybe get into the top six. Stade Français against Lyon. Stade Français again trying to cement themselves in third. Lyon, if they lose again, how far can they drop? They could probably lose this one, but win next weekend against Bayonne. Breathe, Cast. Breathe, trying to save themselves again at home against Cast. With nothing to play for, and Perpignan too low to lose. Previously, as we said, it would have been Perpignan fighting for the lives that maybe would have been enough, but to lose coming full noise with a full squad and no rest um, required before Champions Cup final that one becomes harder for Perpignan
1: Thanks Johnny a big thanks to Paolo for joining us too and thanks to all you guys for listening make sure you hit subscribe leave us a nice review if you can check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube and we'll be back with another episode next week Au revoir Johnny Cheers mate Bye